Galatians chapter 5. We are in uh, another one of our one another passages. And as I was going, we've left the book of Romans and are now going out into other passages of Scripture to look at some of the one another's that are in the Scripture. And we've come to Galatians chapter 5. And Galatians chapter 5 is a passage that has a number of one another's in it, but they're all kind of connected. And uh, what uh, we're going to see is that uh, it's going to be mainly a call that we serve one another, but there is a way that we serve one another that does not uh, defame the testimony of Jesus Christ, but strengthens the testimony of Jesus Christ as we serve one another. I just want us to read through the passage. It's familiar for some of the details of it. Uh, You probably could quote a few of the sections that we're going to read here this evening. But I want to start off in verse number 13 uh, here in Galatians chapter 5. It says this, For brethren, we, ye have not been called, excuse me, for brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but love by, uh, by, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led by the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. As you look at this, you are reminded in verse number 13 that we have been called to serve one another, but we're able to serve one another. We have that ability to be able to serve one another, and you have to understand that that term serve uh, and reading it is a very strong term. In fact, in our culture, it still has the emotion that it would have had back in the time of Roman culture. As you look through the scripture, there are two words that are oftentimes translated served. One of them is the word uh, diakonos or diakono. It's the word we get deacon from. And you go, what's a deacon? Well, a deacon is one who is uh, described by the ministry that they're doing. They're serving other individuals. And and so it's really more a a word that is emphasizing uh, the idea of one who's just ministering or serving to other individuals. There's another word that is the word doulos, and this is the word that is translated sometimes as slave. 
And it is what uh, we, we take it is that a slave is one who has a master, a lord. And what the scripture has is that there is this unique thing that is described in Romans chapter 6 is that we were one time slaves to sin. Sin was our master. But what happens when a person gets saved, they are no longer under the dominion of their flesh. You read that passage and it makes very clear that uh, we are no longer uh, to continue in sin. And there was a, a question that leads off that passage, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The, the idea was, listen, if God can be magnified in saving a sinner, maybe we should sin more and then show that God can save a real sinner. And if we've been saved, it really doesn't matter the, the thought process beyond that. If we've been saved, we can sin all we want because we're already saved. And the Apostle Paul has to just simply say, no, when you were saved, before you were saved, you were slaves to sin. You had sin as your master. But when you got saved, you got a new master, a new Lord. You're now as the Apostle Paul oftentimes addressed his letters in, in the beginning of the letters that he wrote, he would say, Paul, a servant, and it's the word slave of Jesus Christ. For him, something changed when he became a believer. He was no longer bound to have to follow the dictates of his own sinful flesh and his own sinful nature and the sinful world he lived in and the sinful individual who controlled that world, which was the devil himself. And Ephesians 2 makes it very clear that unbelievers are ones who are controlled by the course of this world, by the one who is the prince of this age, and that they give in to their flesh all the time. But what happens when a person gets saved, they become no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to Jesus Christ. And you say, well, what does that mean if an individual is suddenly saved? Uh, what's going to happen? Well, as the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5 and verse 13, for brethren, you have not been, or you've been called to liberty. Okay? You've been freed. Okay, you've been freed from what? You've been freed from sin. You don't have to do it. Therefore, only use not liberty for an occasion of the flesh but by love serve one another and so what he's simply saying is this as you are now having a new master there ought to be a new look how your life is carried out and it's going to be especially seen in your actions and activities to other people that's how it's going to be displayed and as you read through this passage, the Apostle Paul begins to, to give us the understanding of the doctrine of uh, when a person gets saved and suddenly becomes free from sin, they have something that comes along and helps them. It's not a something, it's a someone. A someone is the Holy Spirit. When a person gets saved, or we're told this, that their body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, that, that the Holy Spirit dwells in them. And what He is there to do is to help us and remind us of the things that we should be doing and the things that we know. And He's there to give us the help that we need. 
And so when you look at this idea that I've been freed from sin, I now have one who comes alongside me, this is what's going to happen is that I am going to, verse 16, walk in the Spirit. You know, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Well, when you think about walking, it's putting one foot in front of another. And that theme of the Scripture in the Scripture about walking is the idea that all the time, as we're moving through life, that we're walking in the Spirit. We're displaying the fact that we're saved, that we've got the Spirit of God in us, that it should be something that we see all the time, that we're individuals that live like this. And if we do, and we're attempting to walk in the Spirit, it says this, verse 16, ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And you go, what's the flesh? See, when we got saved, uh, we did change. Our destiny changed. We have the Spirit of God in us. There's a process of sanctification that begins in our life where we begin to look like Christ, where God is working in us to have that process take place. But when we got saved, we didn't lose our flesh nature. It's still there. And granted, you have been freed not to sin, but you have one who goes along with you, a flesh that has its own will, its own mind, its own desires, as you read through the New Testament. It's got all of those things. It's still there with you. And it's got, and if you understand your own nature, it's got a loud voice. It makes its intentions known all the time of what it would like to do. Now, it's sort of like uh, driving. I was thinking about this as sometimes as a youth pastor, you'd be driving a bus and it's getting near mealtime. And you know, the voices get quite loud in the back. Of, we want to eat there. I want to eat there. I want to eat there. Well, you know what? That's kind of what our flesh is doing. I'd like to do that. I want to go there. And, and our flesh does this to us over and over again. It's voicing its opinions, its desires, what it wants. And it's a part of you. But the Apostle Paul says, if you're an individual who is understanding the fact that you no longer have to sin, you don't have to do what your flesh demands, what it commands, that there ought to be a difference as you're walking through life and you're serving other individuals, there ought to be something that clearly distinguishes your life from a person who's not been freed. You say, well, what does a person that is uh, not been freed look like? Well, this is what the Apostle Paul lists off in verse 19, that long, lengthy list that he goes through there, uh, describing what it looks like of a person still answering the call of their flesh. You look at that list, the, the first four, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, that's basically uh, words describing some sort of sexual immorality. Some kind like that, uh, where uh, individuals are just following their own flesh nature. You have in verse 20, idolatry and witchcraft. You're going, what's that? Well, in their culture, it would have been a whole lot stronger, where people are calling upon something to give them energy and strength. Specifically back then, it was idols, 
idols being controlled by demons, thus the idea of witchcraft being attached to this terminology, uh, where individuals were looking to get some sort of power or something to do something for them that God's not doing for them in their mind. Or you have this, and, and then you have this listing. Hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders. You go, what's going there? Uh, the taking of sides. You know, our flesh nature likes taking up sides and winning. Our flesh nature doesn't like losing, being embarrassed. And so what our flesh demands is that we always win whatever side we choose whatever part we're in whatever group we're a part of it's got to win and it may mean that we have to trample on others to get what we want and be uh well harsh and proud and loud and all of these things to get it but that's just simply what that is is the taking up of sides and demanding that our side wins drunkenness revelings you go what's that uh, people just living for the here and now right now everything important is is what happens right now not anything else and then you have this little statement at the end i think the apostle paul got tired of writing and he's put down and such like so what's that mean and anything else like this okay i'm not going to list it out but i think you've got the idea of where i'm heading with this and for us as believers, it ought to be as we deal with one another that we should not be known for these things being a regular part of our life. It's not saying here that it won't be a part of your life. Okay, we'll still sin. We still will till the day that our body separates from our soul and spirit, our soul and spirit enters the glories of heaven to sin no more. I love that hymn where it says, save to sin no more. One day that will be the case. But until then, uh, we have uh, a sin nature that at times we will listen to sadly. Allow it to have the mastery over us. And it will tell us that it is okay to do certain things and we'll listen to that voice and go along with it. But it ought to be as a believer that regularly we are not, you know, that we are not regularly seeing this as a habit of life. And the Lord kind of hints at this in the end of this passage where you have this listing. The Apostle Paul says, Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. People whose lives are known by these activities. I mean, this is their life. These are the very things that will keep people of being uh, not a part of what God has in store for them in eternity, in the future. They won't be a part of the kingdom of heaven. They won't enjoy uh, the glories of the kingdom being set up and being a part of heaven. They won't enjoy any of those things. Why? Because they're a slave to these things. It would be an indicator that they've never been freed. They've never been set free by Jesus Christ. So it's not saying there that if you commit any of these things, you're not going to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, but it does kind of serve as a warning that as you go through life, and this is the things that you always tend to do, things that are always the, 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 the answer and solution for you in life, it may be that you just have never been freed. But what does a person look like that has been freed? 
that has the Spirit of God in their life, how do they serve others? And that's where you get this listing of the fruit of the Spirit. We looked at this a couple weeks ago in the one another passage and looked at that. But verse 22 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. And I stop here because you have to realize that fruit of the Spirit is a singular idea there. And people go, well, the fruit of the Spirit is all of these nine things. And there's some that indicate that maybe it's saying this, that the fruit of the Spirit is love displayed by the other eight items that are there. And you could go with that. But regardless of that, just thinking about tonight, if we're serving and we're individuals that are serving a new master and are serving one another, we ought to see all of these characteristics as a part of our life. That there ought to be a love, a sense of being willing to sacrifice for other individuals. That, that ought to be just a part of our life. That there's a willingness to do that type of thing. Or that there's joy. Now, as a Christian, we shouldn't be known as the one who is the, the person who enters the room and the rain cloud enters with us. The gloom starts. Okay? It's not to say that you don't have problems. Okay? That's not what it's saying. It's not saying that everything's fine and there's no problems at all and I'm always happy. No, but it shouldn't be that we're known for the fact that you know, every time we're going to complain about something, it's no, that there's a joyfulness of knowing certain things. It's the joy of knowing the Lord. That a person who has the joy of their salvation, they know where they're going. So there could be things that are going wrong here, but there is a delight to know one who has rescued and saved. There ought to be that going on. That there's peace in the midst of all the chaos that goes on. These individuals are okay with their God. They know that already. And so the circumstances around them are not the ones that just completely overturn and collapse their life. They're long-suffering. You go, what's that mean? They're long-burning with other individuals. Okay, the, the opposite of this, the antonym, not the synonym, the antonym, to use an English term for this, the opposite of this would be short-fused. Okay, you, you shouldn't be the person who is immediately exploding at anything that goes wrong. No, you're with people, you're long-burning. There's the idea of Gentleness. You say, what does that mean? Well, it's the idea of having a nature that though you are strong, you go and help the weak. Goodness is just the idea of being kind to other individuals, giving them things that will be helpful to them. And then there ought to be an exemplary faith that you have a trust in God that He'll take care of things. Meekness, the idea once again of strength that's under control. And temperance, you go, what's that? Does it mean not the drinking of alcohol? Though it has that connection uh, in the language originally, Paul takes this word and has the idea of just being balanced. Not overdoing anything. Okay, there, there are things that we can give ourselves into in this life and give our passion to and say, I'm going to follow this and do these things. And you're kind of going, is that maybe too much of a good thing? A person who is temperate is realizing there's a balance of things in life and you just see that as they go about and doing their life's activities. There's a balance. And a person who is doing these things at the end of verse 23, Paul makes the statement, against such there is no law. 
Okay? There's not normally laws against these type of activities. You, know, you being joyful, you being peaceful, you know, stop being peaceful. You don't, you don't have laws like that, typically. But really what it's emphasizing there is that there's no laws in the Bible against these things. I mean, for us as believers, as we look in this life and we walk through life and we're going through this life and we're going, how am I going to minister like Christ? It should not be that we have been saved to continue in sin. We ought to look different in the things that we do. We shouldn't look like those that are doing the works of the flesh, but we're ones who are being led by the Spirit, displaying the fruit of the Spirit. In verse 24 says this, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. That there seems to be a person here who is combating their own sinful nature and, and putting that down by the grace of God through the Spirit. There ought to be that type of thing going on because verse 25 says this, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And how does that look? Well, Paul gives the opposite of that. It's not going to look like this. Verse 26, let us not be desirous of vain glory. You know, what's that? Empty glory. You know, we, we can be praised and glorified, but you realize this, that over time that's really empty. There's nothing satisfying about this. I mean, if you read the biographies of individuals that are involved in sports or the arts uh, when it comes to music, uh, and you have these individuals who get the praise of people and you know, the, the applause, they realize that the, the high from that doesn't go very long. It's really empty after a time. It's really shallow. I mean, we don't go through life looking for people to glorify and magnify us. No, a servant, you think about this, a person who's serving is not looking to be glorified. In fact, if they're serving well, you don't even notice if they're there, if they're doing their job right. I mean, here's what some things that could go wrong also. Verse 26 says this, that you can provoke one another, envying one another. This is not when service is going well. You're provoking, you're going what? I'm antagonizing somebody else. I'm, I'm you know, it, it, some of you experienced this. You know, you're on long road trips on vacation as a kid and you had to ride with siblings. And of course, you know, you had your certain quadrants that you all sat in. You know, but then, you know, the sibling is poking and reaching across and is in your zone and they're intentionally irritating you and eventually you get the, Mom! He's touching me! And then you just go through all this. We, we can do that with people sometimes if we're walking according to our flesh. We're acting as people who are still under the law. We like, we like provoking other people. What is a Christian doing? They're not out trying to provoke individuals. They're not trying to, as the, the lusts of the flesh are laid out, we're not trying to take up sides and, and cause fights. Nor are we, like Jacob's brothers described this morning, are we envying one, an one another. We're happy with the successes of other individuals. And if God has given them what they've been given, then we go, okay, that's fine. I'm not going to be jealous of what they have. I'm just going to continue to serve. I'm going to serve in the capacity that God has put me in. So we're not going to reflect to one another 
provoking and envying and, and trying to get vain glory. Or you look at verse number 15. Go back to that verse. It's not going to look like this. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. And the Apostle Paul says you've been freed to serve. Uh, you are to go about life serving and ministering to others, but you're not going out and trying to win be the top individual, be known. If you do that, then you're going to, as individuals talk about this, of climbing the corporate ladder and they go in life and they climb on the backs of others to achieve their success. Hopefully that's not what's going on in church, that we're serving uh, to get the glory on the backs of other individuals. To the making of those individuals looking less and less, and those individuals uh, being brought down and brought into place, or not brought into place, brought down by our harshness and that. Because if you get into that type of thing, you will consume one another. And you have a church that's doing that, where you have individuals that are provoking one another and biting and devouring one another. Uh, you have churches that are no longer in existence. Why? Because those type of things have gone on. A church not displaying the fact that they have been saved from sin to serve both the master and others. They no go about and they fight and bicker amongst one another and they eventually devour one another. And you go, what happens there? Well, the testimony of Jesus Christ is ruined. And so for us, as we, we come to this, this passage of Scripture, it's just a good reminder to us that we have been freed from sin. We don't have to sin. And we can, towards others, do those things which are right. Display those things because we've been given the Spirit to help us as we engage with people in this life. And that statement in verse 16 is really the key one out of all of this. This I say, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you're going, I'm a person who's been freed, I have the help of God to do what I'm supposed to be doing, I will be able to do what I ought to be doing in my work, in my life, in my family. I'll be able to serve others like the Savior served others. And the Lord did not think it robbery to be equal with God. It was not something for Him to cling to when He came down to earth and He didn't go around going every time, I'm God. Though at times He did have to preach that and teach that. But most of the time as you see Him, if He hadn't made those statements, you'd go, what a great servant. He's showing and displaying uh, what uh, we ought to be doing and being selfless and when we get saved, we ought to be a reflection of this one who served and gave his life a ransom for many and was willing to do this. So for us, are we serving? Like the greatest servant, are we reflecting his life, showing our service that we've been freed from sin to serve a great Savior? Lord, we thank you that you have uh, give us reminders. It may be for us that we just have to reflect on some of the things when it comes to the works of the flesh and just simply say, I'm reflecting too much of the world. 
I've been freed from that. I don't have to do those things. And perhaps we can also reflect on the fact of what it is to walk in the Spirit and that we need to be more long-suffering, that we need to have more joy, that these are the things of ones who've been freed from sin to, to serve a great Master, a great Lord and Savior, that our life ought to reflect those type of things because those are the things He reflected as He was on earth. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reminder of your word. May we be individuals who serve in a way that reflects our master. Give us the strength to do that, the Holy Spirit power to do those things this week. And this we pray in the name of the Son. Amen.